Hey, it's Andrew, and welcome back to Season 3 of Network Disrupted, where I, along with some very smart guests, help fellow technology leaders trade notes on navigating disruption in our space. This season, I've set a goal of exploring the issue of enterprise cloud adoption from as many angles as I can. Today, I'm joined by James Stanger, Chief Technology Evangelist at CompTIA, who works to represent the interests of IT professionals around the world, as well as provide education and certification programs. In this episode, we'll talk about the work James does with CompTIA and focus on the path and opportunities unfolding ahead of people who happen to be deep technical experts in perhaps a more traditional domain like networking. His perspective and advice is useful for both the individuals who may find themselves in this position, but also for the people who lead them and are grappling with a shift in skills needed in their own organizations. There's a fair amount of hope in our discussion, so I'm excited for you to listen. With that, let's get into it. And if you do have a moment, please leave me a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to these. The feedback is always so helpful, and you'll be helping more people like you discover the show. Maybe you can give me a sense of the complexity. We love the pilot proof concept approach. It influences everything. It influences the human experience. There were several failures along the way. We want to be early adopter customers. You are handling sensitive information. Network disrupted. James, welcome. Thank you for joining us on Network Disrupted. Uh, why don't you give a quick background of who you are and what you do? Sure. I'm James Stanger. Uh, I work for CompTIA. I'm the chief technology evangelist there. And the whole idea about being a a chief technology evangelist is to reach out to people who are looking to get into IT, but also to help existing IT professionals upskill themselves. I work worldwide uh, these days a whole lot online, meeting with uh, IT uh, hiring managers. I work with uh, IT professionals and also students. And so I'll create videos, for example, in helping people upskill themselves about whatever skill you can think of. Uh, Also do a lot of work in helping create uh, education programs. just last week, I was talking to a bunch of uh, California instructors, for example, for a week, upskilling uh, them, talking to them about uh, cybersecurity. So just an idea of what I do. Sounds like a plethora of different things. Yeah, so it's, it's quite a few things. You know, I had a background uh, in education uh, over the years, but uh, but mostly in technology and networking. And so I kind of married the education side of it uh, to the tech side of it. And uh, so I, I always like to take a practical approach to stuff. Right. And, and CompT is an interesting organization. I mean, you are a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. The board represents a lot of industry. That's right. And, and so what's the sort of core mission of CompTIA? Good question. As a trade industry association, we are the uh, basically the uh, the world's largest trade industry association associated with uh, technology. And so the idea is that we represent the tech industry, and we have uh, individual members. We also have corporate members. Some of those corporations are very large, Rico, for example, or uh, uh, organizations as large as Dell, etc. We also represent a lot of smaller uh, companies, companies that would be just down the street from you, for example, and they could be people with 12 employees, 25 employees, 100 employees. And so we represent their interests. And when CompTIA started years ago, we basically, as representatives of the industry, they basically said, look, uh, all these uh, corporations got together and said, look, there are times when we need to speak as one voice. And that's what we did. And many years ago, 30, over 30 years ago, really, they, uh, a lot of these companies sat down and said, you know, we keep duplicating effort between each of our companies. If only there was one standard 
that, that we could say here, here's what help desk means or what tech support means and all that. And so we created that one standard. And we've been doing that with cybersecurity now with networking uh, over the years. And we have uh, well over 2 million people certified. So we do a lot of education. That's one of the things that CompTIA does. We also do a lot of research and we listen very carefully to what's going on uh, to these companies and with these companies. And we distill that research. So we have, for example, our, our IT Outlook 2021, our cybersecurity outlooks have come out every year. We do things on the cloud, internet of things, you name it. We also do a lot of philanthropic work uh, through our creating IT futures. Uh, and we have uh, presence worldwide. We have uh, offices in London and in India, Japan, elsewhere. So uh, it's a truly worldwide organization, fantastic uh, place to be working for because as a nonprofit, we do a lot of work basically to upskill people, not necessarily in one particular vendor stack or vendor way of doing things, but how the industry works. So it's a ton of fun to be involved. Right. In all of the sort of the, the, the research you're doing, is, is that these days very focused also on evangelizing IT, getting mm -hmm. people excited about careers in IT, bringing people into the fold? That's right. For example, a lot of the research that we've done has led us to really emphasize the idea of a career pathway. Uh, and uh, not just necessarily in cybersecurity or not necessarily just in help desk, but what does it mean as a cyber uh, sorry, as an IT professional to get, you know, the latest and greatest skills and, you know, to right. identify areas why you might be a bit weak and how to strengthen those things up. So it's an interesting uh, uh, place to be because things have changed so, so much. You know, we've been talking about the cloud for a long, long time. But it's only been the last five years, I would say, that true implementation, for example, has been happening. So it's been neat to see right. uh, people making changes there. You can call it transformation, call it what you want. But it's interesting to see people uh, uh, actually adopting these things. No, for sure. And, and we see it in, in customer base all the time. And, and you're, I guess the, the difference from my perspective is normally you have younger, forget age, younger in terms of experience employees sure. working with potential mentors and others that have been doing, I don't know, core networking for 20 years. So now right. there's what you've learned and you're marrying it with, with you know, working with people in your job that, that are teaching you and mentoring you. And in the world of cloud, and in many cases in the world of cybersecurity as well, some of these skill sets are so new or still so changing. There's not necessarily those people with the wisdom to act as mentor, you know? So that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when I was first starting out getting into the whole, uh, you know, really in-depth into the networking side of things, there were a couple of operators, that's what they called them back then, uh, that kind of took me under their wing. Uh, and one of them, she she was just really good. I would go and ask the silliest questions. And she was fun because she'd just go, wow, I don't know if that's a dumb question or a really smart one. I'm trying to figure that out. But my, to your point about having a mentor, it's really, really uh, important and what I like to see, think about uh, of our our training programs at CompTIA. You can call them education standards, training programs, whatever you want, certifications. Those objectives that are for Cloud Plus, for example, uh, you know, James just didn't come up with them, or not one mentor came up with them. If you know what I'm trying to say, right. uh, those objectives were created through a, a really cool process that we've uh, largely led in the industry, and it captures the wisdom of literally thousands of working IT pros. So to your point about mentoring, I like to see those objectives as kind of the scalable mentor. My education background is in science. And, and so like I, I, I approach everything as a learner from experimentation, which is sort of critical to the way I look at things. And I think that's 
part of what's so powerful with the cloud and where, where it reduces barriers to entry in an amazing way, which is great, but it also reduces barriers, I think, to learning because you can experiment with things that in, in some cases, just with like, you know, almost free accounts, you have to be careful. You know, there's be careful of cases where people, I, I like they saying. thought they were experimenting yeah. and then got the $9,000 bill or whatever, but, but by and large, there's the, the technology that you want to experiment with can be at your fingertips. Very much so. And because uh, it used to be, uh, you know, for example, if you wanted to work on a Unix system back in the day, you'd have to find somebody who could literally get you, you know, access to that mainframe or whatever. It was yeah, yeah. yeah. Or come up then, with 75 grand to buy some little workstation yeah. or something. Yeah. Th those and days so, are gone. Yeah. And, and with the democratization of what we're seeing, right. you know, uh, of IT. Uh, it's just really cool to see, well, now you have a, I'll call it a Unix system, but a Linux system that's running on, you know, your watch, or it's running on that uh, Raspberry Pi, which yeah. is relatively, you know, you know, even people who have very little means, it is easier for them to get free resources, easier. I'm not saying simple, but it's more available if right. people prioritize. And that's, that's something that's been really interesting for, for me to see. Out of curiosity, do the public cloud providers provide any student compute, student accounts, or donate basically time on their mainframes to CompTIA? Uh, they don't, we haven't uh, done that sort of thing in depth. Uh, creating IT Futures has done a few things along those lines, working right. with a lot of donations and things. That's been really neat to see. When I say in depth, in other words, with our, our CompTIA learning side of things, we have labs and things that we set up or whatever, but creating IT Futures has had uh, interesting relationships and, yeah. uh, with with people to get those kinds of free resources donated. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah, because yeah. I mean, it benefits them to have yeah. people trained on their their systems as well. That's right. Yeah, I've noticed, like, for example, uh, like I've used Microsoft, uh, used Azure before as a, as a platform, and I was very careful, and I haven't yet gotten that huge bill, you know, right. but every time I set up a resource, I, I put billing behind it just to make sure, you know. Yep. But it's interesting, there are a lot of those free resources. Now, that assumes you have internet bandwidth, yeah, and there's sure. a cost there, for right? Sure. Uh, and there are a lot of people out in the world who do not have the money to even get that going. Yeah, for sure. And, and right in the U.S. as well. I mean, right. It's not oh, a, every, everywhere. You know, yeah, everywhere. And so uh, with Creating IT Futures and other, we've uh, we've had programs that have helped people even, even with that. But uh, so yeah, you have to be very careful with that saying, well, with democratization of IT, everybody has it. It's like, well, there are still a lot of haves and have-nots. A lot of have-nots. Yeah, no, absolutely. So are you dealing with lots of, of learners these days that are experts in one skill set that are being pushed in their workplace to learn other skill sets? Very much so. For example, as people need to know cybersecurity, for example, more, right? Uh, we're seeing a lot of programmers taking, uh, I'll talk about in terms of products, Security Plus. Yep. Developers generally are folks who who have generally, you know, they would say, well, I already know enough about security, so I'm fine. But, but that hasn't been the case in reality. Right. And so it's interesting Clearly. to see that you're a programmer that's been around for 30 something years, 20, you know, 15 years or whatever. But from a security perspective, your knowledge is, you know, your programming knowledge is here from one to 10. You're doing great. But your security knowledge, for example, is quite low or your cloud knowledge might not be as high as you want. Talking to one developer one time uh, was having problems develop, uh, developing a certain app. And I said, well, that's because the the Docker, you know, you're, you're using a, a Docker, you know, a container and your container doesn't have the right IP information, right? And he goes, well, that's 
that's the sys admins guy. And I'm like, no, 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 you're full stack. You know, you're right, supposed right. to know this stuff. So it's, it is interesting to see people because it's, it's a human tendency. We, we have knowledge in this and then there's something over here we don't have as much knowledge of and we, we exaggerate our knowledge, yeah. right? In that area. It's very, yeah. very common. Certainly one of the things we see is both in the, you know, like traditional system administrators or network administrators or network engineers being pushed on the development <laughs> automation side. Yeah. Certainly, everybody being pushed on the cloud or security side. Mm -hmm. In some cases, I, you know, the skill sets are, you know, it's not okay. I'm, I'm, I'm a good backend developer now. I need to learn, I don't know, whatever, you know, uh, oh, uh, yeah, some front end stuff, a full stack, whatever, or or uh, a cloud, yeah, yeah, yeah. But this could be something that you know, I've never written a line of code in my life, or whatever. I'm, I'm I've written some shell scripts <laughs> and aux scripts and whatever, but but you know, I, I'm not a developer, and now I'm being asked to do this. So I'm curious. Is that something you work with, you know, uh, some of the corporations you work with on? I mean, is that, are those conversations you have? Like, how do we, yeah. uh-oh, you know, I've got 300 people in this, you know, global team that I, I need to upskill. How do I approach that? No, very much so. Uh, for example, with... Uh uh, in regards to data centers and the cloud, data centers, uh, automation is a big deal. So we need to talk about things such as using uh, Ansible, for example, to automate things. Or what does it mean to do infrastructure as code or security as code? Because instead of, okay, log into that physical machine sitting in front of it. And, and I'm not saying everything has moved from server rooms to data centers or to, from data centers to cloud or whatever, right. that everything's cloud cloud-first world, but we're going to be using on-premise and data centers for a real long time, <laughs> right? There's going to be a combination. But I guess uh, to your, kind of your question, what we're seeing are a lot of people who are saying, we need more and more people to realize that they have to actually create scripts that start with those, you know, funny little curly cues and end with the curly cues. And the syntax has to be right. That's how you launch a server these days, more than logging into a hypervisor directly right. or whatever, that you'll actually have to say, you know, server uptime, you have to actually create code to do that. Right. And that's definitely something that server admins are, are realizing they have to do, for example, to move from that world into a more uh, scalable world. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Do you get the sense, I mean, you know, when, when I work with especially people early in their career, I always tell them that this is their responsibility. I mean, you know, they mm -hmm. shouldn't, they shouldn't always be looking at their employer as the guider of a career path or ensure they're getting the right education or whatever the case, they need to, they need to take responsibility for their career and they should always be seeking out new skill sets. I mean, you know, there, there's, there's a lot to be said for the AS 400 programmers still out there. You know, there's the law of supply and demand. Uh, some of them are doing quite fine, but, but in general, well, or, um, or young, young people who are having to learn COBOL, for example. Yeah, exactly. But anyway, but yeah. yeah, but you know, in general, you need to keep learning. And so is, most of your reach, I guess the answer is going to be somewhere in the middle, but but is most of your reach sort of through your corporate arms and, and working with uh, employers or directly to learners? Yeah, I hate to say somewhere in the middle, but I, like uh, half my day will be spent uh, helping people come up with corporate learning plans or, or uh, right. basically finding ways to bring that pathway into a corporate learning thing. But more and more, it is a lot of uh, direct to some sort of consumer. Yeah. You, know, you call it B2C if you want. And that consumer oftentimes, though, is responding to some form of demand, whatever that demand is, from a, an employer. So sometimes they they will source it through an employer, but more and more there's some sort of demand and the employer will say, here's 
X amount of money, don't spend it all in one place. And then right. they will come to us individually. I've seen Got that it. through the government. I've seen that through that. Another skill that's interesting. It's just, I'm good at answering the last question. Oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> but one of the things that's interesting is a lot of IT people more and more need to learn more about how data works and, and, and what it means to turn data into information. I think that's another skill that's coming up, not just moving to the cloud or security or, you know, use of automation and artificial intelligence, but what does it mean to become somebody who really can say, well, look, if you give me a data set, I could probably find a valid trend or two. That's increasingly becoming the purview of, of people who are information technology. No, you know, for sure. Yeah. yeah. The information is coming back into information yeah, technology yeah. or at least doing something with it, you mm -hmm. know, in general. I used to say this about like knowing a second language, like whatever you do in life, if you know, if you're bilingual, you'll actually have more interesting opportunities than if you only know one language. And I, I look at it, I look at, at life the same way in terms of uh, software development. Now, I don't care if you're in finance or, oh, yeah. or HR or in core development or IT or wherever you are, if you can write some software, you'll have more opportunities and be able to excel more in your job. I mean, it's just sort of you know, and, and part of that certainly is, is, is being able to manipulate data to try to draw out conclusions. You bet. And there are a lot of common threads there. You know, you're going to be using, you could end up using Python or whatever language to, to do that. And to some people, well, they'd say, well, Python and data, I thought Python was something you used in a, in security tools, for example, you're right. using Scappy to do, you know, pen testing and IP address uh, manipulation sure. or whatever. Well, no, you use you can use Python all the way across the board. It just depends on how you use it. I'm just right. using Python as an example. No, but, no, for sure. Know, yeah, and, understanding JSON, XML. Yeah. Those those aren't just front end developer or back end yeah. developer things anymore. That's that's how you manage uh, so many different things. No, for sure. What about like? Do you ever? Is there any catering or or have you had interesting conversations around like, you know, software developers? You talked about cybersecurity, but what about like core networking skills, which is it, it, it's just just to bring it home to sure. to my employer, Blue Cat. I mean, we we hire great software developers. Many of them have had no experience in networking. And so now we've invested heavily in learning and development. Uh, to try to get, uh, try to upskill and create learning paths for employees who want to understand the networking side of it as well, That's which terrific. is very foreign. If you haven't, if you haven't been in the network, if you haven't operated the network, if you haven't worked on network software, then, you know, you get what DNS is or generally how routing works, but but really, barely scratch the surface of what's going on. You know, it's interesting. A lot of, uh, I remember first time I had a, a, that kind of conversation because the developers were like, look, I know what a socket is. You know, you map, you map a port to an IP address right. or, or, you know, you, you, you can address that as a programmer. And so, you know, it was fun to build that into uh, understanding what does it mean to create a more robust app so that, you know, things don't time out improperly or when they right. do, they, they can fail gracefully and all that from a network perspective. So yeah, people understanding they'd have to learn a bit about subnetting. You know, it's yeah, more right. than just, well, yeah, there's this thing called an IP address no, and sure. they'd have to understand the implications of developing for IPv4 or six, right? Yep. Especially these days. Yeah. Yeah. We see it a lot with, with cloud development as well in, in our customer base because you're mm. making decisions about networking when you deploy these things, just part of like continuous integration, continuous deployment, you're deploying infrastructure, infrastructure as code and, and, and decisions are made that might be not well thought out or naive that could have, uh, pretty severe ramifications going forward, whether from a security side or a performance side or whatever the case might be. So 
Well, it's funny, you know, because for the longest time, you know, developers and programmers were, you know, put somewhere in the basement or you know, where they belong, right? right. Uh, uh, and then that basement was divided between the developers and, you know, and they never spoke, right? It's, you know, like, well, that's right brain, left brain or something. They just never talk to each other. Right. And it's interesting to see two things happen. One, they're being brought, you know, that, that old school idea of putting them, uh, you know, it's like the Thanksgiving table, the extra table that's down in the basement somewhere. No, now they're being brought to be the cre uh, creative folks in the mix. But in, a, in addition with that, the developers and the IT folks, I'll call them that, right? Uh, the server administrators or whatever are now working very closely together. So it's interesting to see that kind of dual. Yeah, no, it, you know, it's forever. It's always the old adage, like, you know, uh, good fences make good neighbors. Is and that, you yeah. want to segment these different skill sets and groups because that's going to make the most reliable system. You've got the right people working on the different pieces and everybody's marching to some drummer, which is some architecture diagram or, you know, whatever requirements document or something. And, <laughs> and yeah, that, that is glaringly difficult to do with modern software today. And I think creates a very inefficient process if if you're going to sort of divide into these hardline skill sets with these you know literal fences. Fences might be floors of a building, or uh, or you know quadranted off like sure. Cubeville or something like that. But, or, yeah, but organizationally, yeah, or organizationally, you got it, you got it. Yeah. You've created a fence, and there's not a lot of you know there's a defined mechanism to communicate over the fence that uh, that really limits bleed over knowledge. It limits uh, collaboration heavily, which causes all sorts of problems. And I think things just move way too fast to do that anymore. And it goes back to what you said before about some of the soft skills. I, I don't know how anybody teaches things like soft skills beyond or early in my career, I was sent to charm school. So this is huh. back like when I was 24 or something like that. I was a manager at, at uh, General Instrument. It was just acquired by Motorola. And, uh, and I remember my boss at the time, a wonderful person, great mentor of mine. And she said, you know, you've done everything I've asked you to do, but if you ever look behind you, there's like 20 dead people, like, you know, you're, you're, you know, and so she sent me to the university of Michigan to go to like a two week, like introduction to management boot camp or what, That's what, cool. what I called charm school. And, and I remember sitting through there going, okay, here's what I've learned. I'm going to try to avoid managing people, <laughs> you know, because I, I can't, this is not, you know, and, and trust me, I've, I've, there's, there's no dead people behind me anymore, but, but the point is, um, I can learn anything. The soft skill stuff though, you know, it was a wonderful program I went to, you know, nothing against that program, but like, uh, with all the role playing in the world, I think it's just one of these experiential, you need to be aware that you're not good at it and strategies around it and recognize your behavior here and there. But you know, you're not going to go, ah, what did it say in chapter five, page three, no, probably not. you know, yeah. you know, when, when conflict arises, I should do, you know, there's, I think it's experiential learning, right? It is. And I think with the charm school aspect of it, for example, I think what it does is it brings in, in you certain feedback mechanisms or activates feedback mechanisms in you, right. That allow you to, to uh, be more receptive, for example. You know what uh, I mean? And project-based learning it will do that. Yeah, yeah. No, a hundred percent. No, it's powerful to have somebody tell you you're you're really bad at this and you need help. Yeah. You know, you need to learn and to be surprised. I mean, I didn't I didn't think I was great at it. I I didn't think it was a it was a big problem. You know, I just 
assumed we were all adults and you know the fastest way to point a and b is direct and therefore say what's on your mind you know but yeah. uh anyway regardless regardless of me no th- that that's fantastic so that's so i i would assume during during this this horrible uh pandemic and this time like you know your have you gotten the sense that a lot of people have spent some of this time and and you know time where they've saved time on commuting and they've potentially had other options for learning like have you has there been an increase in your engagement during this time yeah people are definitely interested in in finding ways to uh, spend their time productively uh they're also noticing i think for the first time how certain things are shifting and it's not just you know unprecedented time stuff it's a phrase i never need to hear ever again right but they are looking to realize that technology has been shifting for some time you know and so you kind of think that your curve is here as it were or you know where where you need to be is here then you realize oops uh, you know the feedback is telling me i need to be shifting over it's been interesting to see how people are realizing that and and we are seeing people uh pick up and realizing where technology is, what it can really do, and then how exactly they fit into it. And that's very transformational in people's minds. Yeah, no, good. So any tips for leaders uh, regarding instilling important skills, driving a learning culture? Uh, What can leaders do better? One of the things that I think leaders can do better is uh, outlining uh, learning as not an artificial thing that, or, you know, a thing that's necessary. Okay, stop work, now it's time to learn, or or maybe we should start thinking about learning. So make it part of the the workaday experience. The second thing, and that's more easily done now with good online learning possibilities yeah. and good mentoring uh, ways of learning. Another thing I think is really important is is outlining different pathways. And to, to some people, a pathway is like, well, there's the linear pathway. You have to go down that pathway. And what's really cool about IT is there are lots of forks in the road. I can't help but think of... Uh, <laughs> What's his name? Was it Yogi Berra? When it comes, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. Right? right. Supposedly he said that. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. Uh, but my point is that things can uh, the pathways. It, it's almost infinite, and you have to kind of find what works for you and the company. And so I think to look to people who are managers, to people who are uh, in a position to to teach learning, finding ways to present learning pathways that are relevant to the company and relevant to the person. And then it just engages. Uh, to me, that starts with dialogue uh, yeah. with, with people. And you engage that in, in various forms of dialogue to get people thinking about what learning can do, uh, what they can do with learning. That can be very productive uh, for a company. That's sage advice. Well, thank you very much, James. Any final Amen. thoughts? No, it's great. I just thank you so much for your uh, time uh, and 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 bringing me in to represent CompTIA and uh, to talk more about uh, you know what people uh, need to do it on their own perspective. I think you had a great point about you know take control of your own learning, right? And part of that is not to shut down possibilities, to take control of your learning and and think about that is actually to to start saying how can I reach out to uh, people whether it be from you know, family to your workspace or whatever, to actually bring in better learning opportunities for yourself. Right. I think that's just really, really good advice. It was learned. <laughs> it was learned advice from mentors of mine and, and, uh, but, but regardless, so no, super. I think your, your, your organization has a fantastic mission and, uh, and, and I think more critical than ever. So thank you for your time.